The desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, Center, and Source. May God guide and encourage you through this message.
Pharisee watched him closely to see whether or not he would heal the man on the cross so they might have reason. Jesus said to the man, Get up, come and stand here. Then Jesus asked him, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? But they answered him not a word. And then Jesus, looking around at them, angry, grieved at their hardness of heart, said to the man, Stretch out your hand. The man did this, and his hand was Immediately, the Pharisees went out and began to consult with the followers of Herod what they could do to destroy Jesus. And that's the end of our Bible. That story comes, this story comes from Mark. It's Mark chapter 3, right at the beginning of the chapter, in verses 1 to 6. I I want to just look up, just briefly look at what God has for us here. Because this is the story I was trying to think, you know, Ron had asked about missions, and so, you know, I was kind of going through a number, we were talking through a number of different stories. And in some ways, maybe some of you all had your quiet time for this story this morning. But this is one of those stories that is a funny little story kind of tucked in there uh, in the Gospels. And you think, well, what is this all about? It's interesting, this has been kind of my, one of my Easter stories. But I'm just wondering, or imagine, what do you think the man with the withered hand is feeling when Jesus invites him, with his disability, to come and stand in front of the whole group? On the one hand, this sense of anticipation, what's going to happen, and on the other hand, this sense of, is he going to embarrass me or humiliate me in front of that? He had faith. So there's a certain level, and again, we wish we knew more, but there is this certain sense of he had faith, he's willing to come. Now again, I love that. That's excellent. Excellent. Thank you. I, I want to just, before we go any further, though, with this guy, I, the story opens up, and, and he's mentioned, but then who gets attention is these Pharisees. Now, I'm, I'm just curious by these guys. The story is very clear that they are watching him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath day so that they might accuse him. I'm wondering, what do you sense or what, what attitude, what would, how would you describe the Pharisees or these religious leaders' attitude just from those couple of things the story tells us about what's happening at the beginning? Self-righteous, conniving, cynical, judgmental, jealous. Ooh, they didn't like him. It's, it's funny, sometimes it's just like, let's just call it what it is. We don't like you in our city. We're looking for a way to get you out. Fear that maybe they would be supplanted. Somebody is moving into our space. We're the religious leaders. They're in their synagogue. This is their space. And they are the authorities, and now somebody else is moving in on their turf. Well, I, I want to just say that again. You have you have religious leaders that are intimidated 
by somebody moving into their space because it might make them irrelevant. And it's not just anybody, it's Jesus is moving into their space and it makes them uncomfortable. Jesus showed up in a particular place and it made people uncomfortable. These are not the lost pagans of Jesus' day. These are the people, these are the professional religious types. These are the types that are already involved in religious activities. These are the activists. These are the people, the volunteers. These are the people that are already a part of the religious staff, so to speak. And Jesus is showing up and they are feeling very uncomfortable about what it's going to mean for their position. I, I'm intrigued by the Pharisees represent a tradition. Kind of the way we've always done it. And now Jesus shows up, and I love those words. Fear, suspicion, jealousy, pride, you almost get the sense of, what if I become irrelevant? What if I don't have my role? Ooh, a little narcissistic thing. I wonder, does it happen today? Does it happen today that Jesus shows up and it makes people nervous? If the theme of this weekend is hope, what if Jesus were to show up on your Emmaus road? And what if he wants to work in situations or in circumstances, maybe in ways that you would not anticipate? Maybe he wanted to disrupt the routine or the tradition, or the pattern, or the leadership role that you have already been playing. I'm wondering, would we respond with joy? Please, have my place. I'll take the back seat. Let her go ahead. Could a story like this about a bunch of religious men actually have relevance? And if we're honest, could it be that we need to give Jesus back some of those same emotions in our lives? I don't want to be irrelevant. I don't want to be jealous of her. I don't want to be set aside. I'm afraid if we do it that way, I will be replaced. But notice Jesus. Notice Jesus here. How does he handle these guys? Right away we find the man with the withered hand is right there at the doorway, or right there at the beginning of the story. How natural it would have been for Jesus to be like, hey, be back afterwards. We'll handle that hand. Not a problem. Let's not make a scene here. I'm already kind of in hot water. Like, we'll handle that. I love you. Be assured of that. We'll take care of it later. 
or talk to one of my guys, they'll set up an appointment. I mean, Jesus could have done a whole host of number of things. And yet what is interesting is how fierce he is with his enemies. Let me rephrase that. How fierce he is with the religious leaders and how gracious he is with the now, some of us are saying, Billy, I'm not sure you're gracious. That would have been really humiliating for me to have to get up in front of you. And you gave me some great descriptions. Uh, 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 anxious, suspicious, uh, curious, uncertain. But it's almost like Jesus is, it's almost assumed Jesus is going to handle that man. That man's problem. It's funny, it's like not even, of course I'm going to handle that issue. Of course I'm going to come through for him. In fact, he's not the one I'm concerned about. The one in the story I'm concerned about is the religious leaders in the room. Does that tell us anything about Jesus at all? Is he afraid of confrontation? Does it tell anything and tell anything about where his priorities are? Or who he wants to come through for? It's interesting, you don't get the sense Jesus is kind of bending to, uh, to religious pressure of any kind. Like he walks right in the front door and says, Here's the things we need to say. I'm with him. The guy with the withered hand, I'm with him. Lines are being drawn in the story, and Jesus says, I'm on his team. If lines are being drawn in your life, and in my story, and your story, what if Jesus was to show up this morning and say, I'm on her team? Whatever's going on in your church, I'm with you. Whatever's happening in your marriage, I'm with you. Whatever it is, I don't know. Jesus identifies with the man with the disability. This guy with a disability. What's his problem? Withered hand. What's wrong with that? Doesn't work. It's ugly. Nobody wants a shriveled hand. Well, it can't produce, okay? Can't work, can't produce. Shun. Okay, so now we've gone from functional. We've got the aesthetic, it's not beautiful, it's not functional, it's not practical, but then there's also this social stigma. Now suddenly it's like, this is an embarrassment. I'm not included in the same way other people are. Isolating. Maybe there was sin in that. Again, we could go right down the list. I wish I had more, this is where we kind of wonder, you, you go to John, uh, John 9, and the disciples say, did, uh, they're talking about the blind man, did he sin or did his parents? It's interesting, that would be, that was very prevalent in Uganda. They had no problem associating malaria to mosquitoes and to something demonic. And in their mind, they could hold those simultaneously. I think there's all this backstory. Why is this hand before? It's interesting, even just thinking about not just the social stigma, but even the relationship. You don't hold a withered hand. A withered hand doesn't come to a withered hand doesn't hug. You just think interpersonal, interrelational. How are hands supposed to be? How is a hand, like, how did God make hands? 
strong. He made hands that are supposed to be strong. Healthy. Yeah, supposed to be healthy. To be used. To be gentle. To express love. Protected. Flexible. All of those things go into how a hand is supposed to be. Is this man to be serious in the back? Let me just see if I can say that back. You're telling me that this man has a disability, some part of his body that is supposed to be healthy, that is supposed to be strong, that is supposed to provide love and protection and comfort and care. That His body is supposed to do that. A part of his body is supposed to do that. And instead, you're telling me is that it's what? It's useless. It's not the way that it was designed to be. Is it a book of exceptions? Or is it a book of examples? If it's a book of exceptions, we can pack up and go home. But if it is a book of examples, then there are things in these stories and on these pages that God is still in the business. So this is my question. If Jesus took interest in a winged hand in first century Israel, a hand that was designed to be active and moving and alive. But now, through whatever circumstances, has shriveled and withered. Jesus said, I'm in the business of restoring that which is shriveled and withered. I want to ask us this morning, what in your heart is shriveled and withered? You say, Billy, I got both my hands. <laughs> Praise God. They may not always work quite how I need them to, but for the most part, I've got all my fingers, you know, I'm able to good mobility, all of that. I want to ask you, is there something else in your life that if your gut level honors, it's shriveled and withered? It's not acting the way that it's supposed to, the way that it was designed, the way that God intended. How to go in grandkids. Healthy, active, or shrink. Amen. Is designed to be life-giving. And the truth is, it's important. Is there a part of your heart? That like a withered hand, you, you try and keep hidden from everyone else. Because it's embarrassing. It's not aesthetically pleasing. You're beautiful here, but not here. And you do your best to make sure everybody sees here, but not here. You know, I wonder if one of the things Jesus wants to do with people he says, I'm in the business of bringing hope to people who have had unmet or disillusioned expectations. They expected Jesus to do one thing, and it didn't work out quite how they imagined. They could close you. Or maybe you and I are like those religious leaders. We stand as a part of a great tradition, and we know exactly our role, and we know exactly how God works. And Jesus is wanting to unsettle something, and we feel threatened. And the truth is, my heart feels a little shriveled. 
Jesus be talking to you and I now? Could he be in a, could he be in inviting the likes of you and me to come and stand? He says, if you're well, I can heal that. If you'll stretch that out, I can bring life to you. I, he is in the business of restoring that which is dead. And this is the Easter theme. This is the resurrection theme. Because what does God do? He takes that which is dead and he brings it back to life. We're in Easter time. This is the season the church remembers what God did by nailing his son to the cross and then raising him from the dead. Ephesians 1 is all about that. Where does our hope lie? In a resurrected dead man. He doesn't just resurrect Haman, he resurrects 